neither the first nor the last. Hello, and welcome to another episode of League Lore and More. As we continue our Freljord series, we will do our next installment this week with um, a slight variation on our normal episodes. We will have Anivia's uh, biography, and then we don't really have a story for her, but we paused halfway through on Trundle's story last time, so we will continue up with uh, a feast fit for a king uh, that we began last week for Trundle. Um, so just trying to knock uh, another character out of the way as well as finish that other one. Um, Anivia, also known as the Cryo Phoenix, uh, was released as the uh, 25th champion, uh, I believe, in League of Legends on uh, the 10th of July of 2009. So we almost hit that one right on the money um, 13 years ago, but uh, a couple days passed. She is a mage slash support. You almost always find them in the mid lane. You will find them played support uh, if you find them played. She is not a very commonly played champion. Um, her abilities, uh, her passive is called Rebirth. So um, when it is active and not like recharging, um, Anivia, if you, uh, upon taking fatal damage, she enters into a resurrection state for six seconds and which will then restore all of her health. So she, if you kill her essentially, um, instead of dying and waiting to respawn, she will become an egg. And then after six seconds, she will be reborn uh, with all of her health back. You can destroy the egg during this time, but it buys her an extra, you know, six seconds six seconds or you know the chance for uh, an ally to come in and and rescue her uh, her Q is flash frost uh, Anivia launches a chunk of ice in the target direction that deals magic damage to enemies hit and slows them by 20% to 40% for three seconds um, the uh, if you recast it uh, which means if you um, press it again to end the ability early. Um, it will deal the magic damage and stun the enemies for a duration as well as refreshing the slow. I think it's a little misleading because I think if you just launch it out fully and it hits at its max range without you recasting it, I believe it will also stun. Uh, so that's a little misleading there as far as the text that they have for it that I'm reading. Um, her W is called Crystallize and she summons a wall of ice at a specific location uh, perpendicular to her and it will bump units away from it if you hit them directly um, and it is now impassable terrain for five seconds impassable in the sense of of like walking through it you can't walk through it uh, so it you know cuts people off traps people in that sort of thing her e is frostbite uh, Anivia blasts a freezing wind at the target enemy that, upon arrival, deals magic damage. If the target was hit by Flash Frost, her Q, or was inside a fully formed Glacial Storm, which is her ultimate, within the last three seconds, Frostbite's damage is doubled. 
Uh, her ultimate is Glacial Storm. Anivia calls forth a driving rain of ice and hail at the target location, dealing magic damage every half second to enemies within and slowing them for one second, refreshing every half second while inside. Glacial Storm can be recast after one second and does so automatically if Anivia goes too far away from the storm and become or becomes unable to pay the mana cost or is affected by any form of crowd control. The blizzard increases in size over one and a half seconds. At maximum size, Glacial Storm's damage is increased by 200%, and the effectiveness of its slow is increased by 50%, which also instead lasts one and a half seconds and refreshes every quarter of a second while inside. So you want to get out of this thing as much as you can. But it's like essentially like a toggle ability, so you, you can press it and then recast it to just drop it, and then the cooldown is essentially nothing and you can recast it again uh trivia uh nivia's dance refers to or references the chicken dance uh the famous chicken dance um she has a quote in her lore that is referencing fire and ice by robert frost uh, that we will i hope it's still in there and we'll get to it uh, Anivia is the first female entirely non-humanoid champion, the second being Rek'Sai, who we have already covered in our Void series. And um, yeah, that is the intro for Anivia. And um, not going to get to know too much about her, but uh, enough to to you know get us started and. Talk about this ice phoenix, cryo phoenix, as she is so called. And uh, so, without further ado, we will hop into her biography, and then we will go from that directly into the Trundle um, story, the back half of that story. Uh, and I'll try to do a a bit of a a summary of where we where we left off. Um, so I hope you all learned something and. Thank you all for listening. thousand lives will I give for the Freljord. Anivia, the Cryo-Phoenix. Anivia is an ancient Freljordian demigod who represents the eternal cycle of life, death, and rebirth, intrinsically associated with the changing seasons. To those who venerate her, she is the elemental soul of the Freljord, a symbol of hope and a sacred catalyst of change. Stories passed down through the ages often tell of how she rewards those who are kind and humble. On the rare occasion a mortal glimpses her, or at least claims to, she is described as a noble spirit bird of ice, with glittering wings that span the heavens, and a piercing cry that can be heard over even the fiercest storm. The songs of the, the nomadic Notai tribe tell how Anivia's birth first brought snow into the world. When she burst from her giant egg of ice, tiny pieces of it were hurled into the sky, and it has fallen as snow ever since. And, according to the sagas of the Mourn Crow tribe, 
The frigid winds that scour the Freljord originate from the first beats of her wings. Indeed, the full power of winter is Anivia's to command, and to those who seek to desecrate her homeland, she is a bitter foe. When roused to anger, she can cleave fortresses and mountains, and her screech can summon blizzards cold enough to shatter steel. One of the most enduring and respected beliefs is that Anivia's greatest gift to the Freljord was the creation of true ice. Infused with elemental magic, this unmelting substance is pure and potent, and the greatest seers and ice mages have long strived to use shards of true ice to amplify their might, while weapons that have even a tiny sliver forged into them are deadly beyond belief. When mortals first arrived in the Freljord, Anivia welcomed them. Seeing that they could not withstand the cold, she guided them to secluded valleys where they could shelter, become established, and slowly harden themselves against the elements. She nurtured and watched over them for those first precarious centuries, and they in turn worshipped her. Anivia hopes that these newly arrived tribes would remain unified in defending the Freljord from outsiders, but slowly infighting and blood feuds became all too common, making them an invasion making an invasion inevitable. According to legend, a greedy southern king marched his warriors up through the mountains, seeking to claim dominion over the Northlands and shackled their wild magic for himself. So enraged was Anivia at the outsider's hubris and disrespect that she blasted them with a snowstorm that lasted a century and a day. Scattered standing stones can still be seen on the scouring plain, but the locals claim, but the locals claim all that remain of that ancient army. Other tales include the Averosan legend of Ula Shatterspear, an iceborne war mother who was favored by Anivia for saving a young hawk from a rhyme fang wolf. Across her lifetime, the Cryo Phoenix protected Ula from harm, and when she finally fell in battle, having witnessed almost a hundred winters, it was said that Anivia welcomed her with wings spread wide. If all these legends are true, then Anivia must have witnessed the rise and fall of countless mortal civilizations. While there are still some dwindling remnants of those earlier times, most have long been forgotten and buried beneath millennia of ice. But death cannot touch Anivia herself. The sagas speak of how she has been struck down and slain a handful of times throughout history, though she is always reborn. For as long as the Freljord exists, her soul is immortal. While it may be hundreds or even thousands of years before she rises again, each rebirth coincides with the dawning of a new era. Thus, her appearance, while regarded as a wondrous blessing, is often the harbinger of something terrible on the horizon. Once, it is said, she sacrificed herself against a march of towering bale striders. Anivia knew she could not slay these colossal creatures, and so she plunged into the ice beneath their feet shattering her own body in order to entomb them. Recently, some claim Anivia has hatched from the egg once more, and that she has appeared before the new leader of the Averosans, the War Mother Ash. In her, perhaps, Anivia sees one who may be able to finally reunite the Freljord. Yet, if the Cryo Phoenix has indeed returned, as more and more shamans and spirit walkers proclaim, then it must be asked, what great threat has she come to face? A great darkness approaches. I will not forsake my home. 
Now we will return to a feast fit for a king, uh, centered around Trundle, the troll king. And uh, when we left off, he uh, had killed one troll and is being guided along by another called Sligu uh, as they are attempting to find uh, Yetu, who has called himself the troll king, which Trundle wants to put an end to it. And they have just started climbing uh, up a mountain. The sun was going down over the edge of the canyon by the time Trundle and Sleeger reached the entrance to Yetu's cave. That entrance was through the wide nostril of the carved head, and the water dripping from the icicles inside it had a peculiar greenish color. A pair of wild trolls stood guard, carrying giant bone axes and naked but for helmets made from hollowed-out drubask skulls. They were big, alright, orange-skinned and wiry bird's nest hair sprouting from the empty eye sockets of the dead animals. Both were bigger than Sligu, who Trundle was now beginning to realize must have been chosen as a sentry because he was skinnier and sneakier than the rest. If these boys were this big, how big might Yetu be? Who goes there? said the first guard. It's me, Sligu. Which one? Your brother, dung for brains. Oh, that's Sligu, said the guard. Why you not say so? What you want? Sligu jerked a yellow thumb in Trundle's direction and said, This one's here to see yet to. No one get to see yet to, declared the second guard, his beady eyes like two lumps of coal. He'll want to see me, said Trundle. Me? Who's me? said the second guard. Is it you? Trundle tried to follow the guard's logic, but gave up when it began to hurt his brain. I'm Trundle, he said. Trundle the Troll King. I heard of you, said Sligo's brother. You not from here. You's a clever one, said Trundle. The troll shook his head and waved his axe at the beady-eyed guard. He clever one. Trundle whacked the clever beady-eyed guard over the head with bone shiver and turned back to Sligo's brother. The troll took one look at the glittering mass of true ice that used to be his fellow guard, and Trundle could almost hear the rocks in his brain grinding together as his eyes went back and forth between the club and its owner. Knowing a troll's thought process could take a while, Trundle swung the large sack down from his shoulder and held it open before Sligu's brother. An irresistible stench of maggoty meat and rank, coagulated blood wafted from its ragged neck. The troll licked his lips and thick ropes of yellow saliva drooled between his jutting tusks. Trundle reached into the sack, lifted out a dripping hunk of meat, and handed it over. You get come in, said Sligu's brother with a hungry smile. Sligu's brother, it turned out, was also called Sligu, so Trundle came up with the bright idea of calling one Big Sligu and the other Little Sligu. Even the guard he'd bash over the head would be able to tell one from the other now, if he forgot he was dead and got back up. Big Sligu led him deeper into the glacier, a sparkling network of smooth tunnels carved deep into the ice. No trolls had cut these passageways, but something about them didn't strike Trundle as being natural. He got a gripey, magical feeling from them, the same as he had when he'd been deep in the frozen maze beneath the palace of the Ice Witch. They passed caves with spiky roofs of ice and filled with trolls of all shapes and sizes. Trundle couldn't help but notice that most of those shapes and sizes went from just really big all the way to massive. Trundle quickly lost count of how many trolls he saw. 
You northern trolls are a big bunch, he said. Big Sligu nodded. Lots of monsters here. We want to eat trolls. Only big trolls live. Jondal took a better look at little Sligu, wondering how he managed to survive, guessing there was maybe more going on inside his head than most. Amongst trolls, that wasn't saying much, but cleverness was something a cunning troll like Trundle noticed. Maybe he might take little Sligu back with him. Didn't do, didn't do to leave clever trolls alone for too long. Sligu might only be little, but sooner or later he might get some big ideas. Eventually, big Sligu led, him, led them to a gigantic cavern deep in the heart of the glacier. A beam of moonlight speared into the cavern through a hole in the roof that made the towering walls of ice shimmer with dancing lights and ghostly shapes. Trundle thought it looked pretty until he remembered how Yetu had won these caves, and tried not to imagine his warty backside pressed through that hole and disgorging the foggy contents of his guts. Big trolls hang out here with King, said Blake Sligu. A lot of very big trolls were gathered around a gigantic blue rock covered in slimy moss and knots of what looked like taiga grass. Except it wasn't a rock. It was a troll, and somehow it managed to get even bigger when it turned around, catching wind of the sack Trundle was carrying. Yetu was nearly twice the height of Trundle, his rangy arms like tree trunks and his legs like even bigger tree trunks. His head was like a boulder that had rolled down from a mountaintop gathering up all the frozen moss and gorse along the way before landing on an even larger boulder. A long bladed knife of smooth stone from the steaming haunches of a fire mountain was sheathed across his chest in a fold of his skin. He stared at Trundle the way a pack of rhyme fangs look at a fat elnook with a limp. Trundle had planned to smash Yetu's head in with bone shiver the moment he came face to face with him, Looking at the northern troll's giant head, he decided against it. Between Yetu's skull and Bone Shiver's true eyes, Trundle wasn't sure which would come out best. Time for a new plan. You got meat, said Yetu with a rumbling, gravely voice. I got meat, said Trundle, reaching into the bag and hauling out the stinking remains of a curling, horned mountain ram. Yetu's eyes widened and he snatched the carcass from Trundle's hand to stuff it whole down his gullet. Yetu wiped his bloody, greasy chin and belched. You trundle? he asked. One who says he troll king? Yes. Yetu reached out and lifted Trundle's patchwork fur cloak. This far north too cold for you, little troll, said Yetu, and the trolls around them grunted with laughter, the sound like avalanches colliding in slow motion. Trundle shrugged. Troll king gotta look good, right? I suppose you're a Yetu, then. Who else I be? You see any other troll here wearing a crown? Trundle took a closer look at the great mass of moss on Yetu's head. Now seeing that woven into the wiry thatch of thorny briars and ice were various blood-stained animal bones, horns, and antlers. It looked like an upside-down storm cloud spitting bolts of bone lightning back at the sky. So that's what a crown looks like, he said. Yetu nodded and stomped toward Trundle. You're not so big, said Yetu, tapping a thick finger on Trundle's matted red hair. I heard you was biggest troll ever, that you scraped your head on the sky and could drink seas. That was a good one. I made trolls tell that one wherever they went, said Trundle. Did you hear the one about how I used the tallest tree in the big green forest for a toothpick? 
Or the one where I ate a mammoth for breakfast and then used its skull for a bath. What is bath? It's when you... Never mind, said Trundle. Or the one where I jumped over the southern mountains in a single leap to wrestle the white stone giant. That I broke his tail across my knee and took it home to dig out the inland sea at Ricklestake. That's my favorite. You fight giants a lot, said Yetu. It's the only way to get a good fight, answered Trundle. You come here to fight me? said Yetu with a grin, putting up his fists that were, as Sligo had mentioned, like giant boulders. The other trolls made a rough circle around them and began stamping their feet, just waiting for Yetu to bash him good. Time for a plan so cunning it would make the ice witch's hair melt. Fighting ain't always done with fists, said Trundle. Yeah, sometimes I kick things to death, agreed Yetu. That ain't what I mean, said Trundle, tapping a curling yellowed claw to his forehead. If you're a king, a real king, you gotta use this, Yetu nodded. Headbutts. Yeah, I likes them too, I do. I mean the thing inside your head, sighed Trundle. The brain that does your thinking. Brain? It'd be a battle of wits, said Trundle, then under his breath. Lucky for me, it looks like you're unarmed. How do we fight with our squishy brains? Trundle grinned a toothy grin and upended the sack to spill out the rest of the animal carcasses between them in a stinking red pile of fur, bones, and rotten meat. An eating contest, said Trundle. Oh, is that using your brains? asked Yetu with a confused look at his trolls. You'll see, promised Trundle. More meat was brought up and placed in the pile between the two seated troll kings. Giant hunks of flesh torn from the bellies of giant sea creatures, ribs from hairy mammoths, slithering piles of rotten fish, giant wings from the flightless birds of the tundra, entire elnuk heads, and squirming heaps of wriggling body parts that Trundle was glad he didn't recognize. As well as food, giant stone bowls of froth liquid were brought out, stuff that made the hairs in Trundle's nose curl up. The stench was like cracks in the earth around the mountains that spouted smoke and fire and Trundle had a feeling it would taste worse than the amber water the squishy folk of the south called beer. Truly this was a feast fit for a king, but only one of them could walk away from it. We just eat? said Yetu. Trundle nodded. Eat and eat. First one to die loses. Last troll standing is the real king. Yetu grinned and said, You got some good stories, Trundle, but you only got a little belly. Real king needs the biggest belly, and Yetu's bigger and meaner. Once ate two whole mammoths when yawned and didn't even notice. The trolls around the two kings ooed. That's so, said Trundle. Well, I once drank so much that when I had to pass water, I made the sea at Ricklestick. The trolls ahed. Yetu's brow furrowed and his eyes rolled around their sockets as he tried to dredge up a memory from only a few moments ago. Wait, you, you said you dug land to make sea at Rakelstake. Trundle retorted without missing a beat. Dug it out to make a hole big enough to pee in. The heads of the trolls around them went back and forth as two troll kings exchanged boasts, each one more outlandish than the last. Finally, Trundle said, Just before I came here, I climbed Yeti's Mountain and took a bite of the moon. The trolls laughed at this outrageous boast until Tr Trundle pointed up at the crescent moon, shining down through the hole in the cavern's roof. Every troll's head lifted to follow his pointing finger, and they muttered among themselves with a newfound respect. 
While they were looking up, Trundle stuffed the now empty sack beneath his patchwork cloak and pulled it tight around his body. No more stories, growled Yetu. We eat. Trundle nodded and the feast began. He began by tearing the meat from a giant rib and making sure it was picked clean before cracking it open over his knee and sucking out the marrow within. Yetu wolfed down the flank of a dravasque, chasing it down with a hearty mouthful of the froth liquid in the stone bowls. Drink, commanded Yetu. Not feast without frustbaga. Trundle took a proffered bowl and swilled it down in one chucking gulp. His eyes watered at the noxious flavor of it, somewhere between corpse blood swamp runoff and the red rock that flows. It burned his throat as it went down, and he felt it light a fire in his belly as he knew he was going to wreak havoc on his backside when he was forced to empty himself out. He forced a smile and said, Not bad. I've had stronger. Yetu grinned, seeing the sweat on Trundle's brow and leaned forward, grease dripping from his chin. Icy fire and belly. Burn you up, little troll. In response, Trundle picked up a crawling hunk of whale meat and devoured it in three giant bites. He spat the gristle and bone aside, and hungry trolls pounced, fighting for the splintered scraps. Yetu tilted his head back and slid an entire arm of fish down his throat, smacking his lips together as its tail disappeared into his gullet. Trundle scooped up handfuls of meat and guts, stuffing them into his mouth with relish and chewing the meat to paste before swallowing. On and on they ate, their audience cheering with every rotten mouthful of food and every bowl of frostbaga they drank. The mountain of meat seemed to get no smaller no matter how many chunks they ate. Yedu popped a shovel-like handful of tiny skulls into his mouth, crunching them and rolling the pieces around his mouth like they were some kind of delicacy. Found these when boat made of trees wrecked on sea, said Yetu. Lots of little people all dead and going to waste. Trundle didn't mind eating the meat of the small people, but tried to avoid it where he could, since most of them didn't have much in the way of eating on them, and their brittle bones got stuck between his teeth. Another carcass of ribs and meat was washed down with frostbaga, and he knew he was going to pay for this feat on the way home. The northern king stuffed his face with the furry meat of a mammoth, but Trundle saw the telltale signs of a full belly in the redness of Yetu's face and the slowed pace of his eating. Trundle, too, was feeling the effects of so much meat and frostbaga. Yetu belched a belly-rumbling roar that shook snow from the ceiling and sent a bunch of giant icicles falling from the roof. Trolls jumped out of the way, and Trundle used the distraction to lift the neck of the food sack beneath his patchwork cloak up and under his fat and blood-soaked chin. He looked up and saw little Sligo staring at him. The clever little troll must have seen him hide the sack under his cloak. Little Sligo gave him a slow nod, and Trundle grinned, leaning forward to grab yet more meat and bone. He shoved it toward his mouth, but instead of eating it, he tipped most of it down his front and into the sack. He took this his time, taking slow bites here and there, all the while stuffing entire wings, heads, and racks of blackened ribs into the sack until it was full and he could fit no more in. Trundle's belly rumbled, and he belched a stinking cloud of yellowed gas. Full yet, said Yetu, chewing on a leg bone of something long and heavy. Trundle slapped his bulging midriff and shook his head. Full? Me? He grinned through a mouthful of crunching bone and dripping fat. I'm just getting warmed up. When do we get properly started? The other trolls laughed, and Yetu roared at them to shut up. I king here, he yelled. Not him. Trundle grinned. Yetu was king here because he was the strongest, meanest, and hungriest troll. 
But Trundle knew that kind of king was easy to topple. But the cunningest of kings, that kind of king, could stay king forever. Trundle leaned back and yawned, stretching like he was ready to go for a nap. Hey, he said, holding his hand out to Yetu. Can I borrow that big knife of yours? Yetu eyed him suspiciously through red-rimmed eyes swimming in grease. What for? Think you gonna cut me? Nah. Just gotta make room for next course. The northern king gripped the stone handle of his knife and pulled it from the flesh of his chest. He tossed it over the remaining mound of bloody meat and Trundle caught it in his sticky palm. For a weapon of trolls, it was surprisingly well made and wickedly sharp. Trundle pushed himself carefully to his feet, holding the bulge of his cloak and letting out a thunderous fart that swiftly cleared the space behind him. Then he took Yetu's knife and sliced it across his cloaked belly. He let out a convincing groan of relief as the vast quantities of food he'd stuffed into the sack spilled out around his feet in an avalanche of chewed meat, gnawed bones, and fragments of half-eaten gristle. Ah, that's better, he said, handing the knife to Little Sligo with a sly wink, who returned the blade to Yetu. The big troll stared in amazement at Trundle as he lifted yet another handful of meat and stuffed it into his mouth. Yetu looked from the knife to Trundle and rose to his full height with a roar of laughter. You gonna let him beat you like that? said Little Sligo. Yetu shook his head. Nobody beats me, he snarled and plunged the knife deep into his own stomach. The northern king sliced the razor-sharp blade across his belly and lifted the bloody knife high with a triumphant grin. Yet to make room for food, too. Trundle watched the northern king's grin fade as his belly yawned open like a second mouth and all the half-digested food he'd just eaten came spilling out in a torrent of his own blood and coiled guts. Something wrong? asked Trundle, pulling the skeleton of a fish carcass from his throat. Yetu tried to answer, but his mouth was flapped as his innards continued to pour from his opened belly. The knife dropped from his hand and his knees buckled. Yetu sank to the ground, trying in vain to hold the sliced flaps of his belly together. That don't feel good, he said, before falling face first into the mound of meat. Little Sligu came forward and Trundle eyed the smaller troll with a mixture of suspicion and respect. Now I think I know how a little troll like you has managed to survive up here among all these big boys, said Trundle. You're clever. A bit, said Sligo with a modest shrug. Maybe you should come back down south with me, suggested Trundle in a tone that made it clear it was anything but a suggestion. Yeah, said little Sligo, looking around at the other trolls. Change of scenery might be nice. Then you knows what you gotta do now, yeah? Little Sligo lifted Trundle's arm. Trundle is winner, shouted the clever little troll. True king of trolls. The end. I am the snow, wind, and ice. So, okay, we have finished that story. Trundle takes his place as king of the trolls. Um... I do, and I pointed this out last time. Also, I don't know, you know, the accents go in and out, and sometimes I just kind of... I feel like last week I had, like, an Irish-Scottish thing going on, I don't know why a troll would sound like that. They don't sound like that. Um, so I do apologize for for the inconsistencies there. Um, it's just a very easy one to, like, slip into. Um, 
but uh, I do like, and it's something I mentioned last time, that, like, they are very, you know, they they show Trundle's cunning and intelligence compared to the other trolls, but then also point out that he is also kind of an idiot if you were to compare him to someone else who, you know, could, like, do math or something like that, um, where he would get confused. Like, he was confused when he referred to himself as me and then the other guy said who's me is that you and then he was just like trying to follow how that troll was thinking and he couldn't um so he's definitely smarter than all these other trolls as we saw with this uh you know how he tricked yetu and all the other ones but you know not not necessarily improving the reputation of uh, the troll community in his day-to-day -day life um but the trolls clearly have a, uh, a role to play in uh, whatever event Anivia has been reborn to come back for, which we can kind of assume is the civil war that we will be engaging in, that the Freljord will be engaging in, or is in the middle of, as between Ash, uh, Sejuani, and Lissandra. And... Um, Hopefully we will get, you know, Freljord events in the future that will expand on this and um, improve uh, on the lore. We have three characters left. Um, each will get their own episode and uh, looking forward to it. And um, yeah, thank you all for listening. And I will be back again next week with uh, yet another episode. It will be uh, Olaf, uh, the Berserker, and then we will finish with Volibear and with Orn, uh, one of my, if not my favorite character in the game. Uh, so thank you all so much for listening, and uh, I hope you have a great rest of your week. A thousand lives will I give for the Freljord.